0: Fitting back to the ice inside, Karim Bette, up here for Simon who's quick, Pete Simon looking for Karim Bette, back to Salmon. oh that is wonderful, that is wild, that is amazing from the
1: Wallabies. Welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the people's podcast providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. Match reviews, player interviews, quality rugby chat that is consistent and positive We do it all for you, our dear listeners. I'm your host, Ando, and with me is Mitch. Howdy. And Rev. G'day. Love how the delay (laughs) on StreamYard works so well for that. Absolutely (laughs) love it. All right. So tonight we have an awesome, awesome episode planned. Um, If you haven't guessed, either from the title of the pod or the fact that we have Rev here, we are doing the Queensland Reds season preview for 2023. Rev, just at the top of the show,
2: um, where are the Reds going to finish in
1: Super Rugby Pacific this year?
2: Very hard to say. It's either 1st or 7th, depending on which part of me you're asking. Okay, brilliant. um, Let's say somewhere around there.
1: (laughs) Somewhere between 1st and 7th. That is a quality insight that we bring you here for. So thanks, mate. Um, Now, we are going to be touching on four things. A massive announcement for women's rugby and the future of women's rugby in Australia has just come out on Saturday from Rugby Australia so we're going to touch on that before we move into some Reds based trivia that Mitch has prepared from a fan I believe and we're Mm -hmm. going to then go on to The absolute demolishing that the Waratahs uh, inflicted upon the Queensland Reds in their trial match Um, just sent them home packing from the Santos Festival of Rugby up north in Narrabri and then moving on to the Red season preview. Um, Rev, how does that all sound for what we're going to be covering, mate?
2: One of the points seemed a little bit like there might have been some blurring of lines, but uh, it sounds good. I'm keen to
1: dive in. That's true. That's true. Um, Mitch didn't prepare much of the trivia. You're right. It was mostly found. Uh, so, <laughs> a couple of other things before we get started is um, don't forget to join us on the Discord server. So we have a wonderful community of rugby fans that have joined on to have a chat about all things rugby and non-rugby. Lots of places for everyone there to find their niche and find people to chat to and engage with. The uh, during the, what's the right word. Um, the the match threads that are put up provide awesome live commentary and discussion of the games as they're being played. Get involved. Go to any of our social platforms and check in our bios and you can get the Discord link there. Now, lastly, we want to do a massive shout-out to all of the absolute legends that have been supporting the podcast on coffee.com. Thank you very much. It means that we can be doing this week in week out getting opportunities to go down to super rounds later in the well, beginning of next month have interviews with players and get you more rugby content out there so please if you love the pod and you love what we do please consider subscribing on ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby you can either do a one-off um support or you can do an ongoing monthly support be an ongoing monthly supporter we would hugely appreciate it but either way that's enough plugging things let's get into the show and chat about women's rugby. Boys, are we ready for this? We are. Let's, do Let's it. go. Let's go. And now we move to one of my favourite parts of the pod, which is overseas abroad. And we are here with Lockie from Scrum Bags. Lockie, how are you, my friend? It's great to have you on.
0: Very well, thank you, gentlemen. There we go. How are we, guys? Good to be
1: here. Mate, it is awesome to have you here. Love what has been happening so far in the rugby scene. A little update, where have you been over the last couple of weeks? Anywhere interesting covering the community game of rugby around Australia?
0: Yeah, actually, I was up in Darwin last weekend, which was a bit of a riot up at Rugby Park there. Um, So we caught the juniors on Friday and then seniors, it was round 12 up there. So getting towards the point end of the season, We've got a couple of undefeated teams ruling the roost, but I had a great sit down with a local legend up there. A uh, young fella, 71, going on 72, um, racked up over 800 games. Dennis Brees. So shout out to the big fella. I'm looking forward to next time. He was he was amazing. Plays in the front row. Still Where still else? at the age Where of else, 71
1: playing in a front row. I guess he doesn't have to run that much if he's a front row forward. But no, uh, he,
0: he he topped um, my count for ruck attendance. <laughs> and um, made a couple of tackles as well so he put in a good shift the big fella really good really good on the beers as well
1: you, you need the ruck inspectors just to make sure everything's going over fine so that's great to hear uh, well um lucky you're going to take us through some of the involvements of aussies in competitions all over the world so why don't we hand it over to you and you can tell us what's happening with aussies abroad
0: absolutely um well we'll jump straight in and to be frank there hasn't been a lot of club footy overseas because it's all six nations fever And there's two teams right at the top of the pops at the moment. That is Ireland and Scotland. Uh, Both are two from two so far. Um, For those who haven't caught up overnight, you will be spoiled because the (laughs) Ireland-France game was unbelievable. So good. As was Scotland-Wales. Both fantastic games. I highly recommend jumping through either the full game or the mini on Stan. And we'll start off with Ireland. And this fine young Australian right here, Finlay Bealham, uh, playing in the front row, playing at three, he's got a huge task at the moment, filling the shoes of Big Keen Healy and some of the other legendary Irish props. But um, while his hair is questionable, his methods are not, and he has been sensational so far. Um, if we haven't seen, the Irish, as we know, run a fantastic forwards passing interchange. And Finlay Bealham is at the crux of that a lot of the time. So if you go through your highlights, you'll find that he throws the try assist pass in the first score for Hugo Canan, a um, second phase play reverse pass straight through the middle of the pitch to the fullback, and this is a tight head prop. So the handling is unbelievable. He also has a second try assist uh, later on in the piece. Mac Hansen obviously running around for Ireland as well. Um, his highlight was getting absolutely <laughs> hammered by Dupont one on one, which is. Easily the best try-saving tackle I've seen in a long time. So go through that. I won't spoil too much, but it's an excellent watch. Get your eyes on him. And Tom O'Toole um, came off the bench number 18 for Ireland. Uh, born and bred Irish boy, but he was educated in Brisbane, went to Padua College on the north side. So there's a little bit of a reach there. He played Queensland schoolboys in the B team when he was coming through. So big shout out to him. Um, the main focus of this, though, jumping across to the Scotland game, they absolutely hammered, hammered the Welsh. Uh, it was 35-7, to 7, I believe, if we go through it. And it, a lot of it came down to this man, Sione Tupilotto. Um His short passing game at 12 is the perfect foil for Finn Russell at 10 at the moment. Finn Russell's a very creative player. He'd he be in all the highlight reels, a couple of kicks for tries, um, brilliant offloading game. But Sioni Tuipilato's short passing game, he'll often end up at first receiver under this new system and he is the linchpin in attack at the moment. Had a brilliant um, seventh-minute line-break assist. He did the same again in the 29th. He is going to be a really important asset for Scotland heading into the World Cup. And in what I would probably call the pool of death now, with Ireland, South Africa, and Scotland all running around in the same pool, it's that first, fourth, and fifth in the world all in the one pool. So (laughs) I cannot wait to see how that pans out. Um, Jack Dempsey was running around for Scotland as well. Didn't see a heap of him. Uh, unfortunately been number twenty, but two brilliant games so far um, from that round of six nations and very excited to see a historic Italy victory overnight. I'll hedge my bets on it. I hope it comes up Trumps. <laughs> but when we when we put this out in the world tomorrow, I'm so, so hopeful that the Italians get a win over the palms. I would and
3: definitely
1: we can only be blame Eddie Jones for that, right? He's obviously undermined the whole establishment uh, prior to him leaving That's what uh, Borthwick's saying anyway (laughs) Um, Back on Tupulotu, his younger brother Masisi Tuipilotu is obviously at the Waratahs at the moment And was very, very impressive in the first two trial games of the year for the Tars So uh, there's obviously a really strong Australian connection there and hopefully we might one day see his younger brother, easy come up for the Wallabies and maybe they can play against each other in the centres. That would be a storyline and a half, wouldn't it?
0: Oh, it'd be brilliant. It'd be just like the Al Alitoa boys going at it for Australia Samoa. It'd be a brilliant <laughs> thing to see. And I honestly thought when I was watching the uh, Red Stars trial, which I know you guys are going to jump into, I thought it was Izzy Parisi from yeah. the back when I first saw him. He's this huge, bulky centre and still moves really well laterally. So I, I really hope we can keep um, Tupelo the Younger in Australia for a little bit longer, um, preferably in a Reds jersey, but, you know, we'll keep him. If it's Tars, <laughs> so be it. We'll see how it all rolls out. Um, but in the, in the broader scheme of overseas footy, there's not a lot going on in club land abroad. In the Premier 15s for some of our Wallaroos girls, we've still got Exeter in second and um, the Quins are equal third. So that's most of our contingent. We've also got Annabelle Cody, who's just dumped on with Labra Lightning. Um, and they're running a little further down the ladder. So more on that probably the next time I jump on. And hopefully we'll have a bit on Super Rugby Alpiki uh, by the next time as well. They're two weeks out from their first game. And I don't know we'll be keeping an eye on Serenaigama and Georgia Cormick as they run around for Matatu as well. A uh, bit of focus overseas as well for the States. Um, the MLR is kicking off next weekend with a new club, Chicago Hounds, coming in to sort of soften the blow from those two Teams that got uh, canned in interesting circumstances, mm-hmm. the gil is and the Gil-Gronies, uh, to put it lightly. Um, <laughs> so we're keen to see, which is basically half an Australian super rugby extended squad over at Chicago Hounds running around. And there'll be a new team in 2024, for those who haven't picked up yet. Miami is going to have a franchise in the new year and they'll be the Miami Sharks. So expect a lot of Shoot Shield, Hospital Cup, Super Fringies jumping over there and joining in the party, which will be good to see.
3: I have seen a little bit of discussion on social media around the, uh, I wouldn't say legality because I I think legally they're allowed to be called the Sharks, but definitely the Durban Sharks aren't too happy about another (laughs) rugby team coming up and taking the thunder, saying that they're the only Sharks rugby team that's allowed to be around. So interesting to see if they can get over that and which team can end up being the more successful Sharks team.
0: I'll just set up a partnership, do a bit of a player share. It started happening... Here in Australia, we've seen some of the Japanese teams and the Aussie teams linking up. In the States, the Utah Warriors have already established a pathway with Stade Toulouse in France for a bit of a partnership and player sharing. So there's no reason you can't tap uh, Sir Calisi or Ebenezer Beth on the um, <laughs> shoulder and say, Go on, big boy, come play in Miami for a couple of years at the end of your career. Not a bad way exactly. to go.
1: Mate, there are worse places to play rugby, indeed.
0: Well, Lockie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank
1: you for the update on all things Aussies abroad. We absolutely love the input that you bring. So, thank you so much. Have an awesome time. We can't wait to hear more stories of Aussie rugby around Australia and around the world the next time we have you on. Thanks again.
0: Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. Dan, In Adelaide this week, we'll be grabbing a couple of feature stories down there with a few SA clubs. So, uh, more to come next time I jump on. Very exciting. Fantastic. Catch you, mate.
1: Now, as I mentioned, Rugby Australia came up with a massive announcement that really is a big step forward for the direction of Australian rugby or women's rugby in Australia, I should say. Um, What I might do boys, because there's a fair bit of info here, Uh, I'm going to go through a couple of the main talking points and then get your thoughts and reactions and responses to it. Um, I am just gonna preface this whole conversation with saying that I personally want to get somebody involved in women's rugby onto the pod. I'm aware that there's three white guys sitting here talking about women's rugby. So (laughs) um, I'd really love to hear a different voice within this. But just everyone, please forgive us, and we are going to get someone else to talk about this too. But basically, (laughs) for the first time, the women's 15s rugby teams, the Wallaroos, are going to receive centralized part-time contracts from Rugby Australia, so up to 35 players, Will be contracted across three tiers of um i guess selection or contract three uh, tiers of contracts where they can be earning between thirty thousand to fifty two thousand per annum for walrus and super w participation combined in 2023 so those are part-time contracts um in addition to that every single super w player will be receiving four thousand dollars as an absolute minimum from rugby australia with club based payments on top of that four thousand dollars so let's say mm-hmm. the TARS play pay a player four thousand dollars for paying that player will then get eight thousand dollars in total for their super w uh participation and season um in addition there's some other things such as pregnancy and parenting guidelines that have been agreed to in principle which will uh be ratified and certified later on but that's things like uh, Player, Walrus players getting their full contract even if well if, if they do fall pregnant um, and that there will be additional in investment into high performance strength and conditioning medical performance environments all those types of things okay I know I just spoke for a lot there was a lot to go through and I even <laughs> skipped a couple of points within there too but Mitch what was your immediate takeaway how did you how how did he feel when this announcement dropped on Saturday morning from RA
3: yeah, I think it's a it's a good it's a step in the right direction and if anyone's been listening to the podcast for the last year and a half um particularly when we did our coverage of the Women's World Cup last year it's something we've been speaking about for a while just around how RA needed to at least let the fans know what their plans were like they they've come out previously and said that the plan was to become fully professional by 2025 but we needed to know what the stepping stones were to get to that and so this is Uh, The announcement that we've been waiting for, that there is plans afoot, that this is what it is going to look like, that these players will be uh, recompensed or um, given some form of sort of income for their time given to the the sport of rugby union in 2023, which is a massive step forward from where we've been in in the past. How much of a step forward is this,
1: Rev, um, considering that it is part-time? that the wages for Super W players aren't a livable wage. So $4,000 plus whatever your club pays isn't really enough for the entirety of a Super W season for someone to go full-time professional. Um, despite those
2: issues, how important is this? It's so massive. And I think the biggest thing is just for the players, they'll actually feel like, you know, someone's listening and someone's acting because it's been probably spoken about for a number of years that, you know, we want to get the ball rolling. We want to get all this um, funding into the game, but sort of, talk seemed cheap for a while because other teams from other countries were getting this stuff done and Australia was just sort of lagging behind so this is a massive uh, injection of money the one thing that's probably nice just mid-season is that if it just means even a few players if they're doing shift work or part-time work and take off some of the time from that especially the younger players it is a massive change for them Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the thing that stood out most to me was that parenting and pregnancy guideline yeah, I was going through sort of the, the Super Rugby socials at the moment just because we're so close to the season starting. And the Chiefs put up this great thing from Super Rugby, outpicky of of uh, one of their players who's um, just had two young children. Like most, most women are going to be giving birth sometime between 18 and 35, which is also probably their peak physical um, playing career. So like if they're giving up, you know, at least one year minimum where they're, you know, unable to play, probably longer. The fact that these players actually have the capacity to get paid during that time is massive. So I think this is a really, really important step. Um and not the finished product, but such an important step.
1: Yeah, and even in addition to that, there one one of the comments or provisions that I didn't make before was that there's actually going to be additional provisions for meals at training sessions and a contribution towards childcare for players with children up to the age of twelve, which is just absolutely massive. Now in no way am I in a similar condition because I've got two young kids, but I understand the challenge that can be trying to juggle different commitments and childcare opportunities when you have young children. And I'm not a professional rugby player. So I imagine that that must be such a difficulty for the women within Super W, within Super Rugby, picky as well. Um, And it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing that they are uh, trying to do. Now, the thing that kind of excites me about this whole release is that, it's not as though this is something that is continuing or is um set in stone now for the next three years. There was no clear indication from what I saw that this is only going to that this is the all that's going to be happening so mm-hmm. the notification or the media release indicates that this is um it's the first step of a staged increase in investment over the next five years so the first step and that that to me is really exciting um i really wish kind of what mitch you were saying before that there was a little bit more of an indication of what areas will be stepping up and ramping up over over the next four years after this next 12 months is done but perhaps um rugby australia just seeing what their financial situation is at the end of this super rugby year and how much money they um can be funding or re requisitioning to be able to push into um, women's game. It, it's, it's a hard one to do. I, I want women's rugby to be getting far more money, but rugby Australia is basically broke. Um, so I love I what's one happened So the Sorry,
3: frustrations go. that I had from reading this is, is a little bit around the timing, um, particularly that like RA has obviously been working on this for a little while. And it's not something that was decided on, on Saturday afternoon. And they've just decided to make the announcement. This was, would have been in the pipeline for a while. Uh, But when you look at the players who are now playing overseas, like some of our top Wallaroos players have gone overseas to chase some some form of either, like when we spoke to Emily Chancellor last year, she was saying she's not doing it for the money. She's basically getting paid just enough to sort of survive. She's not making any savings from being over in Europe. Um, It's more the fact that they can play more rugby than seven weeks in Super W. But the fact is that these players need to be They need some form of um, reassurance from RA that there is going to be that money there to sort of make it a sustainable option for them to put so much time into the pursuit of playing for Australia. So it is frustrating when you think that we've got now players, when you look at that World Cup squad from 2022, uh, Laurie Kramer, Emily Chancellor, uh, Grace Hamilton to some degree, like some of our top players are now playing overseas and most likely won't feature in Super W this year because they are getting some form of payment overseas. It is frustrating that RA wasn't able to sort of say to them last year when they were sending out these options to go overseas, hey, look, just wait. You're one of the players that will be, no doubt those players are in the top 35, so they will be featuring quite heavily at the higher end of this. And the frustrating thing for these players too, that if they had stayed in Australia, they would be getting a lot more than they currently are being overseas now. So in some ways, it's a lose-lose situation for those players, which is frustrating.
1: What I'm looking forward to is the, um, announcement of a combined competition with Super Rugby picky over in New Zealand. Um, so that should be coming in for 2024. And my hope is that we'll see at the expansion of the number of matches within the competition as well, uh, within that, because we just need more games under the belt for these women. Um, all right, I think that's it for now. Considering I do want to talk about this. Uh, in more detail at a later point. But for now, Mitch, you're going to be taking over and running us through some trivia about the Reds for tonight. Is that correct?
3: Uh, Are we doing it now? I thought we were doing it right at the beginning of the Reds preview, but we can do it now if it fits now.
1: Uh, Let's do it now because we're then going to go into trials, which will move well into the preview. So let's jump into it now, my friend.
3: Okay, cool. So uh, this is a segment that has been suggested by one of our fans. So Damien Wren on Twitter, uh, got in touch and suggested this one for the Reds, so thanks Damien. This is a great shout and uh I'm looking forward to seeing how you both go answering <laughs> this question so this is similar to what we did similar to what we did a few weeks ago when we did the western force and so what Damien wants to know is how many players from the twenty three uh the two thousand eleven queensland Reds winning team can we name? So um, we'll change the format a little bit to what we did last time. We'll go back and forth. We'll get uh, ideally five players each. You can name five players. We'll start with Rev. We'll go to Ando. Back and forth. um, And we can hopefully get at least 10 names from that 2011 Queensland Reds title winning team.
2: You know what? Yeah. Okay. I think I could name the whole 22.
3: I I hope you could. And I do think you could. (laughs)
0: Yep, I uh,
1: think I'd uh, have a fair bit of the back line. Yeah, I think I'd, I, I wouldn't have all 23. I would probably have about 16 or 17 of the players. But um, why don't we start off and then Rev can just
3: flex on me afterwards. <laughs> so how do you want to do it then? Do you want to do back and forth or do you want to just give it a... a Let's do back and forth
1: track. until I run out.
3: Back and forth until I get something wrong okay. and run out. Shall we start with Ando then? Yeah, right. So will will yeah. this in the bag. Okay, I'll start at 15 and it was Johnny Lance. Doesn't have to be in order. Doesn't have to be in order. 23 players yeah. um, from that finals team. I'm starting at 15.
2: Johnny Lance.
3: Johnny Lawrence. Yep. Okay.
2: Uh, let's I'm keep it. it in order. Let's keep it in order. Um, right wing would be Rod Davies. Yep. Beautiful. Then it was um, Fayinga at 13. So that is Anthony Fayinga. Beautiful. And Benny Tapawai at 12. Lovely. Love the work.
1: Um, Digby, Iwani was on the other wing, so that's 11.
2: Perfect. And Quaid at 10, obviously. Yeah, and
1: Will here at 9, so that's easy.
2: Nice. Um, they had a lot of good back rowers this year, but um, it would have been Radiki Samo at 8. It was. Perfect. Crap, who played 7? Um. Oh, he had the crazy hair.
1: He had the really long, crazy blonde <laughs> hair. Um, uh,
2: Bo Robinson, Bo Robinson, Bo Robinson. Lovely. Yep. Uh, and Higgins at six. Scott Higginbotham
3: Perfect. This is too easy. So easy. I thought this would be easy.
2: James Hallwill. Lovely. And uh, everyone's favorite Rob Simmons partnering (laughs) him. I thought he played for the Tars, mate. Not the Reds. Anyway. Um, (laughs) then
1: front row. I always forget which side they're always on. Um
2: Greg Holmes. Yeah, Greg Holmes. I don't yep, know if he's he one was or three. three. I always forget. Okay, he so three. he was three. Yep. And uh Ainga uh Hooker. Lovely. God. Who is the other prop? Who's the last
1: one? Who is the other prop? Um Yeah, look, I've got absolutely no idea. I can't remember who the other prop was. <laughs> I'm pretty proud of how uh, I've done so far. All right, Rev. All right, sure yeah. you know, Can you
3: name someone else from the 23 then?
1: Um, uh, Jake Schatz. Jake Schatz was one of the other back rowers. Lovely. <laughs> yep. All
2: right. So, Rev, who was the prop I was missing? Loose head prop would have been Ben Daly because I think Slipper was injured. He had the yep, headgear. He had
1: the different colored headgear, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yep. Um, Liam Gill didn't start, so he was on the bench. So Liam Gill as the other Lucy. He was? Yep. Um, James Hansen would have been the reserve hooker. Yes. Who, who was the backup scrum? half?
1: Huh? Uh, that's quite playing. surprising. He's still playing.
2: Who it was? He's yep. still playing in Super Rugby this year. Mm-hmm.
1: In my head, I'm going through the
3: different
2: I teams don't think Ando's going
3: to gonna get I don't think Ando realises that he even played for the Reds. Prior,
1: it nice. is yes, get in. Okay, I think um, I'm done. I'm pretty sure I don't
2: know anybody else. Um, <laughs> who else so is there? Only three other reserves to name? Uh, yes, there are because we, we would have only had, I think it was only 22 in 2011. We only have one, yes, prop. it was so, actually. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, Guy Shepherdson as the other reserve prop, well, as the mm-hmm. reserve prop, uh, Adam Wallace Harrison as the lock, yeah, and uh, uh, oh, Will Chambers <laughs> as a reserve back.
1: Well Dude. done.
2: <laughs> who I don't even know who Animals Harrison is. <laughs> he's an old timer, he's he's on rugby 08 too. He um he goes he goes way back. Oh, well done, Rev.
1: Well done. That is very impressive. That is Thank very impressive. I just wanted to impressive.
3: um well just want to shout out to Simon. That's how a true fan
2: does it. <laughs> Sorry, Simon. <laughs> that's a bit harsh mate um all right
3: think- well done fellas thank you to damien <laughs> wren for sending that suggestion in he thought that no one would be able to well he was wasn't sure how many people would be able to remember how many of the 23 did win the title in 2011 for the Reds. so thanks for that suggestion and um i guess when you come up against a rev you you need to to know your stuff. Well done, Rev. Look, I, I think I went
1: pretty well there, but we've seen the absolute way in which Rev um, bleeds red there. So well done, mate. Although everybody bleeds red, you know, most... But anyway, <laughs> so... <laughs> Guys, we need to move on to the preseason matches that happened over the weekend. So, Mitch, do you want to get the visuals up for us as we begin this? Uh, The most important game, well, the most important game we're going to touch on second, but we do want to touch briefly on the fact that the Brumbies and Rebels also played over the weekend and the Brumbies came away 35 to 33 victors. So, very, very close game. Now, I'm going to be completely honest. I haven't had a chance to see this. Was it even available uh, for streaming for people? Do we know?
2: Basler, I think it was on Sports Bar TV. Oh,
3: okay. Yeah.
1: Alright, cool. So I, well, I saw
2: some too. of the tries
3: like they, they had for the Waratahs game last week, some of the try highlights. Mm-hmm. Um and I definitely saw Darcy Swain's yellow card. Um <laughs> yeah, that did that and out. I don't think there were much more highlights than that, really.
2: What did you get the yellow card for, Rev? Uh from the bit that I could see, it looked like some sort of uh line out infringement, but it, it was very it iffy them all, because... I think. Yeah, that that's what it seemed like. But the highlights started at a weird point, so yeah, I'd love to see the full match. Maybe it was just a um, team uh, consecutive thing,
1: a team thing that he got that for, rather than dirty play. I think
3: Steve Lenthal on Twitter, he was he was in attendance, and so he was live tweeting it as well, and he said that uh, it was either collapsed mall or not rolling away from a breakdown, which okay. you know, either yep. can. Be penalized in a more situation.
1: Um, big, big
3: shout out to Steve definitely Lenthal. Definitely didn't headbutt anyone. <laughs> yeah, big shout out
1: to Steve Lenthal, who at the game sent me a picture of Ryan, Ryan Wannigan at the back of a ruck, um, just saying I thought you'd want this. <laughs> so thanks, thanks, Steve. <laughs> that definitely made my day. I really appreciated that. <laughs> um, and it's
3: now your phone lock screen. Oh, trust yeah. me, mate. It's already up there.
1: Uh, so moving on to the match <laughs> that everybody wants us to be talking about, and that is the TARS getting a resounding victory over a weak and insipid reds outfit now for those of you who are unaware this was part of the santos festival of rugby which was played up at narrabah over the weekend with with matches between the super w teams um bunch of sevens games as well and i've got to say this match the 33 32 um win was a fantastic game really really entertaining match fantastic play from key individuals i thought the reds were absolutely brilliant and they deserved the win because Nadolo mm. dropped the ball when he went in for that try but there wasn't a tmo so <laughs> i'll put it out there reds should have won but <laughs> i mean it's a trial so i guess who cares rev were you excited well i mean at- on that
3: point really like who cares <laughs> definitely the waratahs do because they came away with seven thousand dollars <laughs> true yeah.
1: true okay cool Seven. i wonder- do they say what they're going to do with that money? I'd love to see them, might give it away to a couple of schools for, rug, for their rugby program or something like that.
3: I did hear they were talking about funding an independent podcast that puts out pretty good content on YouTube. Hey, and, and, um, get involved. And whatnot, so.
1: That was good. I did enjoy the commentators regularly saying pick and drive instead of pick and go. Um, so that, that yeah. was nice to hear. But Rev, getting back to the match. Um, with... Thanks, Kagi, for that, by the way. <laughs> Did you actually enjoy the um, quality of the match, particularly the interplay between McWright and Wilson? That was a highlight for me as a Tars fan.
2: Yeah, it, it was massive. I um, I was feeding my son um, during the first sort of 60 minutes. We had it on, on the TV and my phone was on the kitchen bench just sort of um, from casting it up to the TV for everyone. And... It was interesting because I didn't have the chance to go through the Discord and message everyone um, during that sort of first half and so. Um, But the whole time I was like, gee, this is so good. This is like everything is just looking so electric. We weren't on top. Um, Obviously, Violano got that late try to sort of round out the half, but it just looked like such an impressive game. Everyone was coming in with pretty good form, um, despite a little bit of messiness around set piece. Um, But, yeah, the back row was so good. I think the first message I said as soon as I joined the Discord, uh, Discord was, I love the Reds back row. Yep. And I was I was considering leaving it at that, but it's just so much fun chatting to everyone on the Discord. <laughs> um but yeah, it was a great game. Um despite the loss, I think there was so much um from both teams to get excited about and be happy about. It probably showed the gap between everyone's um, you know, first team players and their sort of reserve slash the wider squad players. But it was such an impressive hit out and I think both teams would be coming away with a fair few positives and a lot of players that probably pushed their their considerations up a little bit higher in the pecking order. Yep. There was, for me, just this
1: amazing level of energy coming from Fraser McWright in particular. The way in which he was running off the hips of the main ball carrier as they're going through the tackle, he must have had must have received maybe three or four really significant little pop passes through the tackle that he was just running onto the ball with such pace that it turned into an immediate break and goal scoring or try scoring opportunities that they were able to convert a couple of times for some absolutely incredible tries. Like that break that he passed it in uh to inside to Uru, who passed it out back out, outside again to Wilson, who ran in under the posts. There was just some absolutely incredible moments. And Fraser McWright looked amazing. Charlie Gamble brought him down with an incredible tackle from behind to save a try at one point in this early on in the second half. The the quality of play from some of the individuals was amazing and great to watch Mitch who were a couple of players that stood out to you from watching the game
3: I guess if we you know some of the Wallabies players that we expected to perform well did so Harry Wilson Fraser McWright, um Jock Campbell well it's not Jock Campbell he didn't play uh Tate McDermott they all had big involvements for the Reds uh for the Waratahs we had big involvements from um uh just had a mind blank um, what's his name on the screen <laughs> Uh, Jed Holloway. (laughs) Jed Holloway, that's it. I'm saying Ned Hannigan, but I know it's not Ned, and I know he got injured quite early on, so he didn't have much involvement, but um, if we talk about some of the players who were sort of taking this opportunity to really step up and show their wares on this level, I thought that the uh, young signing Max Jorgensen uh, for the Waratahs was quite impressive out out wide. He did really well. Um, For the Queensland Reds, Tom Liner, played really well at ten mm. as as well and had some good involvements floyd Aubrey as well had a bit of a, a uh, I, I, I guess you'd say like a a flip flop sort of game like he'd do something really good and then mm. he'd drop a ball that led to a try he'd then make a break and look really good again and then he'd drop the ball and try and offload it so he had some good involvements, but he was clearly showing that he just doesn't have that polish yet at this level to really sort of finish yep. things off, but he's definitely got the energy and the the drive to be a big player coming yep. up soon. Rev, looking at it from a broader team approach,
1: how happy were you with the quality of the overall performance and where do you think the
2: Reds uh what what were you happy about with how the Reds performed as a team? I think the Reds it continue to do really well with their link work in the forwards. I think the locks and the back rows work really well as a unit. Um and it kind of stems to the point that Thorn's kept the majority of this team together for quite a while now and there's not too many new faces, or at least in that starting team, we had Smith, Uru, Wright, McRide, and Wilson. They've been you know, in the red squad for the last four years altogether, so it's been pretty handy. Uh, the back line looked pretty good um, when they started with the ball or if they had the opportunities. Like on counter, there were a few issues uh, as Mitch were up with Floyd Aubrey and Patai had a few chances that he sort of dropped it cold too. But I thought the way that um, line was able to link it to the centres, mm-hmm. um, Isaac Henry and Josh Fluke had awesome games. And the reserve front row, I thought, actually did quite well. Uh, when it was Penny Ravi, uh, Richie Asiata, and um, Francis Sula Saliosi, they, they did pretty well as a combo, but there was just still a few teething issues with the starting team. So I'm I'm keen to see how they can rectify that because as we'll get into with the proper preview, the front row poses a lot of question marks for the Reds. Mitch, looking at the Waratahs, what
1: were some of the elements that you were happy with their performance as a team?
3: Yeah, they looked really strong. I mean, that's something that... You know we've heard a fair bit in this preseason that a lot of the players have bulked up, but really that first fifteen minutes they looked strong, they looked fit, they were really really fast up on the attack, they were really strong and dominant in the breakdown, and the Reds were on the back foot for a long, um, a lot a lot of that first sort of twenty minutes, uh. One of the players that I, I thought looked really great was Archer Holtz. Uh, he's a sort of a development player last year, but he's trimmed down a lot, um, bulked up in the shoulders, and he looked really fit and strong. So some of the players, I mean, uh, Gleeson also, um, when he got on, looked a bit bit stockier and stronger as well. Um, just some of the players, they've sort of rounded out a fair bit more and they were putting in some big hits in both defense and attack. So um, they really had... And the the tempo that they played with, Particularly early was was really impressive to see. Like they were re- recycling the ball quickly, getting the ball out of the ruck, um, making meters quite easily. So that was really impressive to see, and hopefully that can be something that they bring in round one against the Brumbies.
1: A couple of quick points from me, and then we might move into the preview for the Reds for the entirety of the Super Rugby season. But for me, I was just really happy with the line-out performance from the Waratahs particularly, because that's kind of the lens in which I was viewing the game. Uh, I was really concerned with how they would perform. But overall, apart from a couple of missed throws throughout the match, just from a hooking perspective, uh, not straights and the like, it it was fairly good in terms of their ability to retain the ball on on their own throw. They also had two pushover tries to Mahi Vailanu as well, Which is a bit of a rarity from the Waratahs, um, and might go to some of the weaknesses within the Reds from a forwards perspective, perhaps. And then the Mm -hmm. Donaldson, uh, the Edmund Donaldson axis at ten and fifteen worked really, really well. So I thought Donaldson injected himself um, good. They shared kind of kicking duties insofar as. Edmund took all of the place kicks, but Donaldson was doing all the restarts and the kicks for touch during the game. So I thought that that sharing of duties was good because it keeps them both fresh and means that not one player is having all the pressure heaped upon them throughout the game.
3: Um,
1: all right, we might we might pause there
3: and move into now. One, one last thing I just wanted to say before we moved off was just around the tempo of the game. And so they were trialing the new laws that they're talking about using in Super Rugby Pacific this year. So there's a scrum clock now, there's uh, 60 seconds for shots at goal um, and just the no, like, little sort of quality of life things about speeding up the game. So no longer huddling before you come to lineouts and things. And from what I saw in this game, it was a very exciting game to, to watch as a fan. And whether that was an indication of the way that the referees were speeding things up, it felt like there was a lot more ball in play in this game. Whether that is just the way that both of these teams approached the game and wanted to play fast tempo, uh, it was hot and humid, so they w- it sort of gave them the opportunity to try and run the opposition a bit ragged. Whether that was sort of an, an indication of what Super Rugby is going to look like this year or it was just the fact that the two teams were taking that style. It was a great spectacle nonetheless for fans. So if we can see more of that in Super Rugby this year, it's going to be a really exciting competition and I can't wait for round one. Completely agreed. Well, on that point,
1: let's now talk about the Reds moving into the 2023 Super Rugby Pacific season. So, what we might do is do a bit of a recap of their um, season in 2022. So, Mitch, I'll let you drive the visuals. And as just a quick reminder to everybody, um, we will be putting a video up on YouTube of this whole podcast. So, if you are listening and you want to see the visuals of what we're covering, um, then yeah, jump over to YouTube and search for pick and drive rugby and you will find us. So Mitch, let's drop on into things, mate. So uh, in 2022, they had eight wins and six losses, placing seventh overall. They had a few key games, which I might let Rev um, kind of give a little summary to in a moment, their best performance was the 21-7 victory over the Brumbies and the takeaways were the clear reliance on Taniela Tupo and James O'Connor and really struggled with injuries against the Kiwis so the second half of the season saw them creep down the ladder quite quickly. So Rev you were the one that identified the three key games that are on the screen can you talk us through why you chose these matches?
2: Yeah the the drill one's probably the the outlier I guess uh, people could probably look at the other two and, and and see why but the the drill one I thought was probably the start of the Red Speakers' issue was they couldn't close matches where they were clearly in front. Mm. Um, and it was a real issue that reared its head quite ugly um, with the first match against the New Zealand teams, against the Hurricanes. Um, we were winning that drill match, I think it was 33-9. to nine or something Like, we were ahead by a lot, um, and we let in three late tries, and it, it gave away a, a um, three-try more bonus point. And so I was sort of going through the matches again um, in preparation for this, and there were four matches in which we let that happen um, against the Rebels in round one, against the Tars in the second outing against them, and then against Moana Pacifica. In all four of those matches, we we had a bonus point ready to go, and then we lost it in the last few minutes just um, by conceding a, a pretty needless and in most cases pretty soft try. And it, it that's just the difference between finishing seventh and sixth, which, you know, if, if it's between facing the Crusaders or the Chiefs in a quarterfinal, there's one that the Reds tend to do a lot better against. So it was a big shame that they couldn't um, sort of keep that momentum, keep the wins going. And then I included the 27-25 to 25, uh, loss against the Chiefs just because obviously that was the closest we got to a New Zealand team. It was really embarrassing as a Reds fan being the only Australian side that didn't beat a Kiwi. It's
3: um, a 27-25.
2: I put 27-23 there. So I've docked you a few points. Sorry, Rev. No, so good. Yeah, it was um, it was twenty five. We we were only a penalty goal off. I remember we were fighting really hard to get back down to that end, um, because I think again they scored a try quite late in the piece, and yeah, and and cried and fought back. He got a try in the seventy seventh minute, but yeah, we just couldn't quite get there. Um, so that one stood out. But then I think the Highlanders they really showed that they weren't a good team last year, and despite all their injuries, I think the fact that we couldn't put them away was a really really big issue. So. They were the games that stood out for me, just I guess in that negative sense. Um, and as you, sort of said, as you sort
3: of said there, Rev, um, that game against the Hurricanes, I think it was, that was down at Super Round, wasn't it? That was the first game they played crossover. Was that right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and as you said, like they were up quite convincingly in the first half. And I remember being down there in Melbourne and, and thinking, oh, this is great. Like this was the first game that we looked comfortable in Aussie team against the Kiwi side. We've got this in the bag. And from memory, yeah. the second half, they just came out and went to pieces and, and the, the Canes ran away with it. Um, like, and even like they didn't have a lot of injuries at that point. They didn't have a lot of injuries in that second half. It just things started to fall apart. And um, I remember Brad Thorne after the game in the press conference was just like, he couldn't, he didn't know where things went wrong um, and why the players just sort of fell to pieces. But it was clearly something that they weren't able to finish
2: off later in the season. And it was something that continually Kept creeping into the into their games. It, it was massive, and because that it was the Hurricanes match, I'd done a a preview pod with James Marshall for the Water Lad, just because they wanted a you know, Aussie exposure. And he he sort of laughed at the fact that I thought the Reds could beat the Hurricanes, and he sent me a message thirty minutes in saying, "Geez, I I think you might be onto something. You guys are looking good. I think we were seventeen three up, um and Balen and Sullivan and tyrell Lomax got really late tries in the first half, and it sort of brought it level or close to and um, yeah, the momentum had just completely gone and he messaged again pretty quickly into the second half after they scored another try and said, actually, take it back. Um <laughs> are going to win this and we to do it easy. <laughs> um, So I, I think that was disappointing. Um, but it was just funny because I think all those matches, especially early on, like the Reds won seven of the eight matches against the Australian counterparts and um, including the draw. So they had the momentum and they were able to beat like teams that just really struggled. And I'd love to have seen how much closer and how different it would have been if we'd had Tupou and Jock, but that I guess that's our big issue is we can't rely on having our full strength 23 every time. So it was a massive wake-up call. And another thing, just before we move
3: on to the next slide, that was a bit of a worry too, was that a lot of the games in the, that second half were played at home for the Reds. Like They played a fair few mm. of those New Zealand games, other than the Crusaders back-to-back, which was tough for any team to play the Crusaders twice in two weeks and one of them being an elimination final. But... Um, A lot of those games were played at home. That drew a game um, that, uh, from memory, the Highlanders game as well, was in Queensland. So there was a few games that they got to play at home. They probably had a more favourable draw than some of the other Australian teams who had to travel a bit more against the Kiwis, and yet they still weren't able to get um, those, those tight victories.
2: Yeah.
1: Well moving forward now into the twenty twenty-three squad. Um Rev, I might get you to take us See through what the forwards. You did there, Andy. I'll go through the backs. Moving Thank forward. you. Thank you. Yes, I know. Um <laughs> Rev, I'll get you to go through the forwards. I'll go through the backs,
2: but um once once you've read out the names, we'll say uh actually no. Just go through the forwards and then I'll go through the back. Too busy. Um so the props, the Reds have are Harry Hooper, Zayn Nongor, Tani Alatupo, Dane Zander, Seth Van Garcia, Francis Sula CLC, and Penny Ravai. Uh, for the hookers, they've got Richie Asiata, Josh Nasser, Matt Fazler, and George Blake. In the locks, they've got Angus Blythe and brother Wilson Blythe, Lepeti Fifua, Ryan Smith, Luke Jones, and Connor Vest. Uh, and then in the back row, Fraser McRight, Sarah Uru, Harry Wilson, Liam Wright, Connor Anderson, and Keenan Takapulu.
1: Then moving now into the backs, please, Mitch. Uh, scrum halves Spencer Jeans, Tate McDermott and Kalani Thomas, Fly halves Lawson Crichton, Tom Liner, James O'Connor, Centres, Josh Fluke, Isaac Henry and Hunter Paisami, Outside Backs, Jock Campbell, Filippo Dungunu, Mac Greeley, Jordan Pattaya, Siliassi Vunavalu and Floyd Aubrey. So moving ahead now, looking at the signings and then the departures, you've got some pretty minimal signings. It's probably the smallest incoming list of any of the Aussie super rugby teams, which when you look at the names of some of the departures, so Feo Fatuaka, um, Alex Murphy, Sala Kailoto, Angus Scott-Young, Tuani Tai Tuolima, and Hamish Stewart, that's a lot of experience and a lot of quality that's gone, where you haven't had a huge amount of experience and quality then come back into the squad to replace those players. So Rev, are you a bit concerned in terms of the signings
2: or lack thereof for the Reds? Or do you think they have what they need to get the job done this year? No, I'm massively concerned, um, especially in the spots they haven't really replaced like for like. I think Luke Jones is a good get um, and Penny Ravi, he's exciting in his experience, but between um, Francis Sula, CLC, Connor Anderson and Keenan Takapulu, they're three club players kind of Anderson I guess at least comes with a bit of experience he's sort of that mid to late 20s um and has been around the blocks quite a lot for the west but um yeah it's a real concern that they haven't come in to replace really big hitters like Alex Murphy I think is a great hooker mm-hmm. um, and we've got three three hookers that have got quite a lot of game time we'll probably unpack a bit later but none I don't think we're at his level uh Luke obviously a wallaby and the ability to cover the lock and six um, Sarah Uru can do that as well, but I, I just think he probably wasn't as well utilized as he could have been last year, and he's such a big weapon to have lost. And then Angus Scott young. He's just the kind of player you could call upon to you know, perform any role in the background. He'd do it um, really admirably. So between them and just the experience that comes with Hamish Stewart, we've lost probably four of our eight most experienced players um, from mm. a Caps perspective, so it's a real big concern that we haven't brought in anyone that is experienced other than Luke Jones. Exactly. And that's a worrying
3: trend that's sort of developed under Brad Thorne for the last few seasons is that he seems to be, when it comes to recruitment, he seems to prefer to bring in the younger, inexperienced guy from the Hospital Cup or shoot Shield, who's sort of that underdog type player who's not getting the crack and um, isn't sort of coming in with a wealth of experience. He wants to sort of mold those players. And we can see from Brad Thorne's time with Queensland when he first signed on as coach in, what was it, 2019, 2020. Um, that he took that young crop from the players that he sort of molded through the NRC and, and brought them into Super Rugby. That first season was difficult, but then it started to bear fruit come 2021, 2022. Um, but now with it, it's starting to raise questions of, is it really a, a feasible option at this level to continue continually bring in players that don't have a whole lot of experience? They may have talent, but they don't necessarily have experience. When you throw them into a squad that's got injured players like Teniel Latupo, James O'Connor, some big players who have really strong work, big workloads and strong um, shoulders to sort of bear this team. Um, It's starting to really ask questions of what is the right path here and is this the right option going
0: forward?
1: Yeah, and it's an interesting one because, I mean, you could make the alternate argument for other teams that they should be trying to develop more within their pathways and they shouldn't be just trying to parachute talent uh, in from other clubs or overseas. So I think there's a delicate balancing act that every, every coach has to do. And I think that the Reds have just been seriously impacted by injury. In combination with a few key players wanting opportunities either overseas or um, at other clubs that can provide them with maybe more game time in a favoured position, potentially like Hamish Stewart. But why don't we jump across into the next slide um, and the next visual that we've got? So we we put down here some of the most valuable players, but. We'll we'll touch on these guys and then maybe go back to some of the areas of strength or weakness that we uh, are concerned about for the team. Rev, of the four players that we have listed here, Tate McDermott, Fraser McWright, Harry Wilson and James O'Connor, who
2: is most important for the outcome of the Red season in 2023? It's tough when all four of them are quite um, influential players, but I think it does have to be James O'Connor just based off the the gulf between him and his um, next in line. I think you know with, with Fraser right you could get Liam Wright into the um, into the seven jersey. He'd perform in a very different role, but you know very admirably, and he's got a heap of skill and a heap of hunger to get back into the Wallabies with the new coach. Um, Tate McDermott is super exciting, but you know Kalani Thomas on, on his day can do quite well, and Spencer Jeans when he gets back from his injury is a really sharp kicker. He's got a nice pass on him, and Harry Wilson can be uh, replaced with Sarah Uru eight if needed. But James O'Connor, I. I'd, just think there is quite a big gap. Um, and we saw that with Lawson Croydon last year. Mm. He did a really, really tough job of coming in uh, without having been trusted the 10 jersey beforehand, um, just with bit part minutes off the bench. And, you know, he had, had to come against the New Zealand Super Rugby sides who have pretty experienced teams and, and flankers that were more than happy to race up and put them under pressure. So I think James O'Connor just has that level head. If he's healthy the whole season, it's so massive because he was, you know, leading point scorer for 2020 and 2021 in the Super Rugby AU. Um, I think during the Super Rugby seasons, he's been the most informed fly half. Um, you know, I'd love to see him get the chance to play all season again and, and really press a claim for that wallaby spot.
1: Yeah, and that's that's one of the really big points of... What are his willoughby aspirations? You see, I mean, obviously he'd be wanting to make the squad, but he's going to have to stay injury free and be in incredible form to force his way in at this late stage, considering he um was pretty much out of the picture last year. Mitch, of the three remaining players, Tate, Fraser and Harry, which one of those, as the second most valuable, do you think, takes the
3: Yeah, I guess building you know on what, what Rev just said. Yeah, I guess building on what Rev just said, like Harry Wilson and Fraser McWright, there is serviceable players that can replace them if they are injured. And there's that back row for the Reds is probably the position or the area of development for the Reds where they've got a fair bit of talent there. Um, Tate McDermott for me is that player that should he get injured and not play big minutes for them this year, they're going to struggle. And that's not to say that the replacement scrum halves aren't good. Um, but they just don't have the experience that Tate McDermott has, and we have we saw that in 2022 that Tate McDermott was not just that player that was sparking things on the field for the team around him, but he was also the captain when James O'Connor wasn't available, and so he was that player on the field that was giving direction to to the players around him and and keeping the, the level head and keeping things calm, and he was really influential in their victories early on against the Australian teams, um, and I think it sort of got a little bit ahead of him when it got later in the season and some of the other players and some of the other leaders in the team got injured as well um he also I think he picked up an injury or two through the second half of the season as well didn't he Were the reds or did he feature quite heavily i can't remember against the kiwis i believe he didn't and this was tate right i
1: don't think he had an injury at the latter part yep. of the season i think he was I think he was fine rev am i right tate He's hammy
2: yeah, Tate played the majority of the matches. So he did have that combination with Pride. And It was just, um, yeah, I think Paisami did miss a few as well. So you missed that sort of 10-12 yep. axis, which was pretty, um, pretty damning.
1: Mm. Mm. All right. Well, shifting ahead now to our look into what we think 2023 will be for the Reds. Now, strengths, weaknesses, and final placing. Strengths, we think there's... A lot of great continuity from last year's squad, particularly in the back row, particularly in some of the outside backs as well. There's some really, really good quality players that they've managed to keep on, uh, keep a hold of for the last few years and are growing in um, age, in physicality, in combinations, experience, and all that jazz. So really, really great squad. They have an exciting back line and back row, but from a weaknesses perspective, the tight five depth is really concerning, um, particularly within the front row. And they have a number of key players who are already injured who are unlikely to feature for the 2023 season. So we have their final placing being around seventh on the ladder. And that it says nothing about how good some of the players are, but just our concern over some of the weaknesses. So Rev... I might throw it to you to start with our concerns around the Type 5 depth and why it was that we included that as an area of concern.
2: Yeah, the, the Type 5 is just interesting because I was looking at the teams we used last year and, you know, in the 15 matches, um Ophoto-Ika was used in 14 of them. He's no longer with us. Um, Harry Hooper was used in 14 of them. He's going to be injured for most of the season, if not all of it. Um, Taniel Atupo was used in nine of them because he had his own injury concerns last year. But again, he won't be available. Um, one of the concerning things is it's impossible for us to name a starting front row this year that was the same as any of the ones we used last year. Wow. So um, it's going to be a really big concern. Um, Zane Nongor, he's getting a lot of hype um, because he's obviously got a big frame and he's been in the squad for a while, sort of getting back up minutes. But he's only started one match at tight head. Um, he's only played... I think it was 110 minutes last year, despite getting some time off the bench. Um, Dane Zander was probably our, our go-to uh, loose head. He was starting, I think, seven of the first eight matches or so before his red card, and he, he had a few matches banned. But it, it's massive that we've got such a big drop-off. Um, and then we lose Alex Murphy as well, who was our best hooker, despite not playing much. It's just going to be interesting. I don't think any of our hookers have played... I think Fazl played the most with about 12 matches at hooker. The others have you know played a bit more, but a few of them are props. So, yeah, I, I really think, unless we can pick our best, you know, front row for the whole season, none of them get injured, and they develop a really nice combination early, it could actually be quite tough to even make the top eight.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's really important because you look across all the other super rugby teams, both Australian and, well, within the New Australian kind of side of the conference and the Kiwi side, um, the front rows are actually a bit of an area of strength across a lot of the teams. And we all know, like, just the normal stereotypical thing of the games are one up front where the type five matters so much. Luke Jones is under a small minor injury cloud. I think Angus Blythe, um was also injured
3: for Ryan this Smith. match. Ryan Smith. In the trial.
1: Yeah, he did came Ryan off
3: Smith with a stinger it looked like?
2: Yeah, and where was Blythe within the match? Was he injured as well? He didn't make the match. He had a syndesmosis injury, and I think he's gonna miss the first sort of three or four weeks, apparently. Yeah, so there's another one of the locking options gone. And so when we
1: when we yeah. go through all those options, I mean there's a, really a bit of a, de- a lack of depth within the locking position of experienced players. Like, there are, there are players that can fill in there without a, without a doubt, but similar to the Tars within the locks, once you go past the first couple of players, if they cop an injury, like, Ned Hannigan may well be out for a few weeks with what looked like a pretty bad tackle from um, Dane Xander. actually. <laughs> after Like, yeah. not not ripping reckless, attacking yeah. him, but it, it actually did look a bit reckless, the way that he came around the side and then... Um, yeah kind of folded Hannigan over backwards.
3: Um, Hannigan might well be out, so
1: that's that's tough for the Tars. I'm worried that the Reds are going to have the same concern. Well, I guess
3: the only, the only hope is that he, he actually walked off the field and he was sitting on the side of the field with no ice on his knee. So yep. it did seem a bit more precautionary than a, a full-on injury and he wasn't yep. on crutches at the end of the game. So at least that's helped. We'll see. Back
1: to the Reds now, though. Back to the Reds. Um, so we've got their finals, okay. <laughs> um, final place being at seventh. I think that that is pretty fair. Rev, you mentioned jokingly at the start that somewhere between first <laughs> and seventh would be would be your goal. Do you realistically think that they can be getting any higher than maybe seventh throughout this season?
2: I think a lot would have to align. I don't think, just given the current injuries, given the, the fixtures, which I'll get into, but I don't think they could finish in the top four. Hmm. I think if everything went really well, they could probably finish fifth or sixth. Um, Looking through their um the season they've got ahead for them, they're playing Moana Pacifica in Samoa. They've got the match um that's gonna be over there. So that's a massive task. There's gonna be a lot of emotion there. Um they've I think they've got Fiji in Fiji as well. They've got Crusaders and Blues at home. So the two best teams in the comp at home. Um, which, you know, will be quite hard to get wins there. Um uh, meaning they have to travel for the matches against the Chiefs and Highlanders. And their other match against the Hurricanes is not at Suncorp, it's at Townsville. So they're, yeah, just the structure of the matches they've got doesn't really lend themselves to a lot of, I guess, expected wins or those 50-50 calls. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they are better on paper than the teams sort of ranked 12th to 9th. Um, it would, it really would be the Highlanders or maybe, maybe Drew or someone having a breakout season. So I think they should make the top eight, but. Yeah, at the moment, it's hard to see them going above seventh. I think, yeah, with my most red-tinted glasses, I could say sixth. Fair enough. Fair enough. And, Mitch,
1: um, if we talk out some of the strengths, what are you most excited for from this Reds team for 2023?
3: Well, one of the things that we saw in that trial game against the Waratahs this week was that they were playing almost a Kiwi-style of attack or counter attack. They they liked Harry Wilson, Fraser McWright. In the middle of the field, were making breaks and um, supporting each other really well, but they also were throwing the ball around quite well and getting the ball out wide and and capitalising on the mistakes that the Waratahs were making. Mm-hmm. So I think if one area that they, if that is anything to go by, and it is a trial game, so you you know you take it as with a pinch of salt. But if that's one thing that this Reds team potentially could look to do this year is to to play a fast up tempo style of game. They have a very mm-hmm. mobile back row. They've got, they don't have, without Taniela Tupo playing, they don't have the biggest um, forward pack. So they're quite a mobile pack. Um, And their backs as well, uh, they have talent. They've got the ability to break the line. Sully on the wing, um, Jordan Pataia on the other, or fullback, wherever he sort of slots in. They have the ability to break the line and to distribute the ball quickly. So I think if they can play that sort of counter-attack style that we know the Kiwis are so good at, and they can do it well, they may be able to, sh- to do enough to sort of get some good wins against some of the sort of the lower half of the comp, the Moana Pacifica, the Fijian and Drua, some of the um, Australian teams. And that might be enough just to scrape them through into that sixth or fifth place. Um, but then, yeah, as Rev sort of said before, when you come up against the teams like the Blues and the Crusaders who have that mobile ability, but also have a big, strong pack that are able to push you around in set piece, I think that's where they're going to struggle. Yeah, I think so.
1: And especially if a couple of key players get injured. So if James O'Connor goes down, I mean, I loved what I saw of Tom Liner um, and Lawson Crichton still has the opportunity to be developing and build upon his 2022 season. But if either of them are coming up against the Kiwi teams or the um, the, the bigger ones, particularly like the Crusaders and the Blues, I think the Reds are going to be in for a tough time up against those big big teams. But either way, I genuinely am hoping for a really really strong season from the reds i was super excited after that trial game i've got to say that was a wonderful game of rugby and if anybody hasn't actually watched the um Tars versus reds trial go back and watch it it's on stand and it is a really really entertaining game positive rugby from both teams some wonderful tries scored from both teams um it, it was a great game good good for a neutral good for um both the reds because they know they should have won and the waratahs because we did win even if it was slightly (laughs) fortuitous in the end um so everybody can be happy in their own way and isn't that what everyone wants in rugby everyone to be happy except the english (laughs) and my hope is that by the time that you are listening to this um dear listeners that the italians have gotten up over the english (laughs) in the six nations that would just make my week absolutely perfect so (laughs) what we might do is leave things there we finished our preview for the 2023 Super Rugby season for the Queensland Reds. It's been an absolute pleasure. Rev,
2: it's been good to have you on, mate. Thanks for joining us again. It's been a while. Yeah, I'm uh, glad I was able to make it for this one. I shifted heaven and earth to get back from the coast in time and I'm glad. Um, you know, it's always good to chat 40 with you guys. Mate, it's been a pleasure. Mitch, thanks for coming on. Good to see you as always. And we haven't
1: mentioned, uh, for those who are audio-only listeners, Mitch has been wearing a disgusting Queensland Reds shirt this whole jersey this time. <laughs> Episode, so um, I don't know what to say about that one.
3: Oh, well, I said last year that the Reds were my second team, and um, with them shifting across to Canterbury as their kit supplier this year, like the Tars did a few years ago when they left X Blades, I think I picked this up for like 50 bucks. So, um, <laughs> it's a 2021 Super Rugby AU victory jersey. So, hey, back what's... a winner when you can, and <laughs> why not? Hey, add it to the collection.
1: Why not it's always good to have a collection i'm very excited just on that note before we finish to get the um the indigenous training jersey that the reds have released this yeah. year that well, looks the, absolutely the pacifica. pacifica 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 i think but it actually includes yeah. um uh indigenous australian designs as well so yeah it's 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 it absolutely does. Awesome. yeah it does anyway guys that's it thank you so much for your time thank you everybody for joining us visually or on or on the podcast Get involved, join Discord, support us on coffee.com, and we can't wait to be with you next week. Thanks so much and have a great day. Bye. Bye.